0: Welcome again to Love podcast, where we talk about recovery, healing, life, business, anything to help you grow, mainly about emotions, but we also talk about spiritual issues, financial issues, business issues, relationships. Today, we're going to be talking with a buddy of mine, classmate of mine from Rice NBA 2004, Galen Bingham. How are you doing today, Galen?
1: Oh, fantastic, man. I I feel old now. 2004 is a long time ago.
0: Yeah, it's only 18 years. You know, now you're actually legal. (laughs) (laughs) All right, actually, technically, well, in in some things, now everything's going to be 21. So you're still a minor. So we still got three more years. But uh, so Galen, we're going to talk to Galen. You're going to hear about all his different experiences in the corporate world, in the franchise world, in the entrepreneurship world, especially also just uh, issues that we're going to talk about, some emotional issues or social issues that we all need to talk about. But first, Galen, tell everybody one thing you love.
1: Oh, man. I I love being a father. I love just, um, I've got the cutest, smartest, most talented little girl in the whole wide world who is actually a freshman in college. And I just love seeing her go into the world with these things that I tried to equip her with. And um, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but I just love seeing her on the journey.
0: And tell us, where is she studying?
1: Ah, uh, she is a biochemistry major at Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, just uh, again, just growing. She's having a great experience, uh, but it's just it's just great to see her try new things and come into her own.
0: Well, that's amazing because Spelman College—I mean, their their reputation is unmatched—and I'm assuming you're extra proud, you and your wife, of having a a Spelman student.
1: Oh my gosh. I I've, I've got a lot of friends uh that uh, are spelmanites and they always talked about their experience and I appreciated it. But once you have one in the house and you understand what she's going through, you understand what she's learning about herself, uh it really does, to your point, make you make you proud, make make you feel like you've done at least one thing right with uh raising a future leader.
0: I know you've done many things right. But let's get into the questions. Come on, let's go. Question number one. Do you run your personal life like a business? Like our Rice MBA, you know, we're supposed to find efficiencies. Or how should people address time management?
1: Yeah, so for me, I, I guess there are some similarities um, between my business and my life because it's really around how I think, and so in business and a lot of the work that I do with ex- with my executive coaching clients, I talk about, um, you know, leaders have to create a vision of what success looks like. They have to remove barriers that inhibit success, and they have to inspire people to want to join their cause or join their mission. And so I try to do that with my life as well. I hadn't really thought about it until this question. Um, As far as identifying what success looks like, uh, I'm really committed to these 10 areas of your life that my mentor encouraged me to take a look at. So trying to uh, define success in those 10 areas, um, self-development's really, really important. I'm um, very committed to this, uh, book and philosophy around "Think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill, which is around how do you live your best life? How do you accomplish those things that you say that you want to accomplish someday? So, uh, yeah, I, I guess I do. I never really thought about it. Uh, but for me, my life is just a reflection of how I think normally and naturally.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Uh, Thinking and Grow Rich is an excellent book. Anyone who hasn't read it or heard it on audio needs to do it. There's so many, there's also a lot of great books, but that is one of the ones that really kind of get you thinking and growing.
1: Yeah. Oh my. I mean, there, there are a lot of books, a lot of philosophies, a lot of churches that will tell you, this is why it's important to live your life a certain way, but they won't necessarily tell you how to do it. And that book, really does give you suggestions on how do you have faith? How do you uh, have discipline? How do you uh, use your brain? And I'm just, again, I'm really, really uh, committed to understanding how to do these things that I say that I want to accomplish.
0: Good. Now let's go on to question number two. As a black man, Are you tired of corporate America just making statements about racism? Because they only talk about racism. I don't think they even really understand colorism. So let's talk just making statements about racism, colorism, discrimination. Do you think there, is there any hope for white America to ever deal with race? Is it a time issue such as... is it a time issue such as the millennials do like the millennials get it? Cause I think the younger people get it more so than older people or the baby boomers, the baby boomers and the Gen Z do not, or is it just so hard for a white man to address their subconscious and just really be empathetic to the black man?
1: Wow. So there's a whole lot in that question. Um, it, I'll just personally, I, I just have this thing personally that, um, I hate and I can't stand solving the same problem more than once. You know, just I, w- whenever I face a problem at work or in my life, I want to, I want to find a solution, build some systems so I don't have to deal with that exact same issue again and then move on because tomorrow is going to bring brand new problems. And if, if if I'm still contending with the same problem from yesterday, I don't have the capacity to address the new problem. So I, I think your question kind of fits into that category. That um, you know we've been trying to solve this problem for you know 400 years, and at some point you've got to wonder if we really want to solve the problem uh, because we keep coming at it. Um, it reminds me of a quote uh, that I captured in my book. And this quote is by Noel S. Titchy. And he says that given the choice between being in control or being effective, we choose being in control. Because being effective means that we must be in touch with the changing reality and be willing to change with it. It requires the monitoring of our own hypocrisy and be and the willingness to close our own hypocrisy gaps. So um those words for me kind of fit your question in that, uh, you know, if we get, if we have a choice between doing this, this life thing the right way (laughs) or being in control, we always choose being in control and that's fine, but let's not pretend like we're actually addressing an issue when in actuality, uh, I wonder if we really want to. Th- this this thing seems to work for a lot of folks. A lot of people make money with the status quo being in place. And so it's they're going to be reluctant to want to give that up, right? So again, I keep going back to Noel Titchy that um, in order to really address this, we've got to come to grips with our own hypocrisy and be willing to cl- close those gaps. I'm not sure that we're really there.
0: Oh, uh, yes. You know, I say this a lot. You know, I learned this in recovery. You talk about control. As addicts, addicts always need to kind of control their environment. You know, they'll especially like, let's say, compulsive gamblers. They got to control the mail. You know, they don't want the wife or the husband to see the mail or the statements. You know, now a lot of things come through the computer or they control the phone calls. They were constantly controlled to hide their secrets. Mm. and or to try to co- almost like control their environment and I always say in in spiritual world or the spiritual axiom is is the best way to control someone or something is to give them total freedom because hmm. in actually when you give them total freedom and you let them just live their life or let them be they'll actually respond as if you know, you control them or, you know, they're more in touch with you. The more you try to control something, I always believe the more you try to control something, the less you control it. The mm-hmm. more freedom you give it, the greater control you have over it. And I think it kind of speaks to in in kind of a roundabout way, why we've never really tried to, or why we haven't been able to solve race is we've tried to control it instead of just kind of giving it more freedom and more life.
1: Yeah, I I think it really comes down to fear, right? Fear on so many different levels. Number one, um, if if I don't have an awareness of the experience of your life, then I'm going to make up in my mind what your life must be like. And your imagination is always more scary than reality right so i'm always going to make up things like uh you know well hugo must you know he must eat his guests when they come over and he must sacrifice them to the underworld and i'm going to make up all these vivid imagination uh, imaginative things um that can't possibly be true but in my mind it's true and then i'm going to start dealing with you f- based upon my imagination if i'm afraid to actually have a conversation with you so I think that that's one way where fear is controlling this. And then number two, I, I think a lot of this is is based on um, what your parents have told you, what your grandparents have told you. Uh, I used to tell this story where uh, you asked me what I love. One of the things I hate, I hate the New York Yankees. Can't stand the New York Yankees. And the reason I hate the New York Yankees is because my dad hated the New York Yankees, just couldn't stand the New York Yankees. And you know why he hated the New York Yankees? Because my granddad could not stand the New York Yankees and would just absolutely go into fits if you mentioned anything about the New York Yankees. Well, you know, my granddad passed away uh, several decades ago. And before he died, I had an opportunity to ask him, granddad, why do we hate the New York Yankees? And he said, oh, well, it's very simple, Galen. Uh, back in 1954, I loved the New York Yankees, and my favorite player played for the New York Yankees, and they traded him to a team that was outside of my radio listening area. And from that point on, I hated the New York Yankees. And I think that that's how things get passed on. Well, we don't even know the origin of it anymore. We just know that we're supposed to hate things because our dad hated it or because our granddad hated it. And I think a lot of that is um, going on with this. And it takes a lot of courage to dig down, to understand what's the, what's at the root and whether or not that is still true for me.
0: Yeah, correct. And that that's why empathy or almost trying to put yourself in another person's shoes, at least, like I said, try to that way you can see their point of view instead of looking at it just from your point of view and just, and mm-hmm. then you can maybe, and then you could possibly have different understandings. Yeah. It's a, it, yeah, it's one of those things that's kind of, hopefully we keep making progress because I'm a big believer is, is, but like, you know, after 50 years after the civil rights act, you think you would we'd made more progress and it doesn't seem like since 1964, we've made some progress. Some things are better. And in a lot of ways, a lot of things are either still the same or even have never even moved the needle.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, we live in a country that uh, I'm absolutely convinced can do absolutely anything that it really, that she really wants to, you know, if, if, if she wants to put a man on the moon, even before she knew the technology at Rice University, <laughs> the president made this proclamation that we're going to put a man on the moon and we figured it out and we did it. Uh, if we decide that we want to figure out a way for people to have a conversation, uh, although they may not be in the same room, uh, there are millions of miles between them, uh, we've figured out how to do that if we wanted to figure out a way to uh, bring uh, light into a room, although it might be 10 o'clock at night, uh, we figured out a way to do that. So we can do anything that we want to do here in this country. And the fact that we haven't figured out race suggests to me that it's something that we really don't want to do as a country. We say that we want to do it, but goodness, this thing's been going on for years and decades, centuries. So at a certain level, you got to wonder, do we really want to figure this thing out?
0: Yeah, I say, I'm going to finish with this one thing and we'll move on to question three is you can call a white person anything, but you call them a racist. To me, to me, that's almost like the white person's N word. Call a person racist and you'll, you'll hear a thousand defensive remarks. I, I've never seen anything like it until, you know, and I had to address my own thoughts. I go, why does that word really strike a chord? Because I, I think there, there's a lot of feelings. It could be guilt. It could be shame. It could be a lot of things or almost like, I can't believe my people or, uh, my, uh, you know, my grandparents, my heritage did this, but, uh, yeah, I always say, you know, white people need to really understand the, why do you get so worked up with the word races, race, just like the whole critical race, anything with race in it, man, white people just have a fit. And I just tell, take a, take a breath, calm down and figure it out. Look at your own thinking.
1: Uh, um, wow. Yeah. Dude, I mean, that, let you, that's, that's you interesting. You want to add something? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it just reminds me of a conversation I had with a colleague of mine, uh, Rada Yavavich, and she is Caucasian, uh, brilliant. I mean, like McKinsey level, brilliant, just brilliant for no reason, brilliant. Um, and one of the things she said is that um, the biggest rule of racism and white supremacy is that you must at all times keep white people comfortable and that if ever anything happens where uh, white people are uncomfortable that's when problems occur and just like you mentioned and black people understand that rule either inherently if not explicitly and if uh you know if I have a conversation or if I say something and and people around me suspect that, white people are going to get uncomfortable. Uh, black people are going to come and they're going to check me they're going to, they're going to say, dude, what are you doing? You're going to, you're going to make the white people uncomfortable. You're going to mess this up <laughs> for everybody. You need to chill because that's the number one rule of racism and white supremacy is that, uh, you have to keep white people comfortable. And, you know, Robin D'Angelo did a lot of that, uh, work around white fragility and, um, like I said, my, my good friend, Rada Yavovich, talks about that uh, on, uh, on my podcast.
0: Excellent. All right, let's go to question three. So you've had three different business careers. You've almost like hit the triple crown. <laughs> you've been in corporate America. I mean, you worked for Coca-Cola. I mean, you've worked for other Fortune 500, but you're the, obviously the biggest. I mean, everybody knows Big Red Coca-Cola. You've been a franchise owner. Or, oh, you know, dealing with yogurt, frozen yogurt. You've also been an entrepreneur, so tell us about business. You know, kind of maybe some insights because there's people listening that maybe want to do the corporate route, maybe want to do the franchise route, maybe want to be an entrepreneur. Just tell us something about uh, each one, or, or you know what you've either learned from them, or what you or, or things that people need to maybe keep an eye eye open for.
1: Yeah, you know, um, great question. I, I think it really, for me, comes down to understanding, in it, regardless of what space you're in, understanding who you are and what's important to you, uh, because you've got to have a firm foundation of who you are and how you operate best. Um, everything is a learning experience. You know, my corporate career, uh, it, I was halfway through my corporate career until I realized uh, that. Hey, you know, working for the Coca Cola company is almost like getting another MBA, right? Because of the things that we worked on, the things that I was exposed to, and start appreciating those learning experiences. Uh, now that I've moved into my entrepreneurial uh, life, I, I really love the independence, uh, the fact that I can talk about what I want to talk about as long as it represents me, rather than thinking, how will this reflect on the Coca-Cola company? How will this reflect on Kraft Foods? How will this reflect on, you know, what other company I might be working um, uh, at at the time? Uh, I got a quick story about that. I I was uh, asked to speak on a leadership panel. Um, This must have been 15 years ago. And um, just talk about leadership and love to do it. Leadership is my thing. And so I sat down to s- sit on the panel and they gave us each bottle of water. And the bottle of water that they gave us happened to be from my competitor. It wasn't the brand of water that that the Coca-Cola company manufactured. And so I wanted to be considerate, but I just felt that there would be an issue if there were photos of me holding <laughs> A bottle of water from my competitors. So I took the bottle and slipped it underneath the table and peeled off the label and was just expecting no one saw that. But someone did see that. So a a guest in the audience said afterwards that she saw what I did. Not only did I do it once, I did it twice because I had two bottles of water. And she respected how I was trying to protect the brand that I represented, but still being um, uh, respectful and responsible to what I wanted to talk about. I don't have to do that as an entrepreneur. As an entrepreneur, it's about what I believe uh, personally. I also love the limitless opportunity. Uh, and we often say that um, the handcuffs, you talk about the golden handcuffs. Well, my handcuffs weren't exactly golden, but they were awfully comfortable, right? It's like, yeah i mean i went to the i went to football games i went to world series i did a lot of amazing things but there were handcuffs um so those were some of the things that um that i enjoy now in my entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial space um some of the challenges however uh tend to be in the areas of um how do i create the right systems in order to do what i'm trying to do uh, because when you work for Kraft Foods or when you work for the Coca Cola Company, they've got a lot of systems there already, and they are proven systems that uh, you know very very smart people have created and have tested. And so you just kind of slip into the into the uh, game plan. But when you're on your own, you've got to think: what are the right systems for you? Uh, what are the right systems for you to be successful? And then along with that uh, is it's being able to divine the right vendor partners to partner with, because once you're an entrepreneur, everybody wants your money and, um, you've got to find the right partners that speak to what you're trying to do. And that are consistent with how you're trying to represent yourself. Um, so I, I would recommend, I would recommend all three, uh, but just go in with your eyes open, go in, knowing what it is that, um, you're getting into and what you hope to get out of that relationship.
0: Uh, I like that. Uh, there's a lot, it's a lot there. And I think, I think it adds to your versatility in what you talk about, you know, leadership on your podcast, in your business, in your coaching. You know, I appreciate the time Galen, but tell us the name of your podcast, what you talk about, maybe what you're looking for in a potential guest and anything else you're kind of working on?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, my podcast is called Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. And I named it Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership because I like whiskey, jazz, and leadership. <laughs> I like all three of those things, literally. But I like all of them metaphorically. And so the metaphor is I'm inviting in- incredibly brilliant people leaders like yourself, Mr. Hugo V Uh, uh, over to my home. Uh, I'm metaphorically sharing incredible whiskeys. We're listening to amazing jazz, and we're talking about what it really takes to be uh, an effective leader. Uh, and, uh, Hugo, you, you know, you and I go back a long ways. I, I'm so appreciative of you appearing on the podcast and sharing your insights. Uh, we've got conversations with the CEO of Honey Baked Ham. We've got conversations with, um, the global group president of Haynes Innerware and just, you know, the former CEO of Anheuser Bush. These are people who I know, and we're just really trying to get to, the real authentic advice of what it takes to be effective as a as a leader. So, uh, I'm looking for anyone who is really committed to sharing um the success secrets from their perspective so that people who are mid-career uh and they are trying to reach into the C-suites, trying to navigate that, they can get some advice or if you say, hey, look, I'm not managing anyone, uh, I'm just trying to do my life a little better today than I did yesterday, uh, what's some advice that you would provide to them as well? So I'm, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun, uh, double-dog dare anyone to check us out just once on any podcast platform.
0: You should. Uh, I am an active listener. Galen is an excellent host. He's got incredible guests. I'm not just talking because he was smart enough to have me on it. But uh, now he has there. There's a lot of excellent information from season one, season two. The, the minutes that you spend listening are very valuable because you can get a lot of a lot of information uh, that can be that you can implement quickly and understand. So, yes, go to a podcast. And listen to Whiskey Jazz Leadership Podcast, and you'll hear more from Galen. So, with that, we will end this episode of Life is Wonderful. Love Podcast. Appreciate the time, Galen.
1: Absolutely, man. Life is wonderful. Thank you for championing that cause.